bid our anxious fears goodbye. Isn't that cool how we take uh, 38 minutes uh, spending time worshiping and how we're not focusing on ourselves or our stuff, our problem, but we focus on God, we focus on Jesus, and our anxiety does step aside. My name's Mike. Uh, I'm a pastor here at Bethel. I'm on part-time staff, um, and I am super glad to get to be here this morning. Eric is out this week. He'll be back next week. Um, Before we start, I have to give a quick shout-out to uh, one of my sons, Noah. He is driving right now on the way to Florida for his senior beach trip, Um, and so he told me that they would stop listening to Eminem for just a moment to tune in here to Sunday morning. So, uh, hey, drive safe. I'm serious. So, and don't do dumb things and all the other parenting stuff. So, you got it. Um, so, that is out of the way. Uh, I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic. Uh, so, some of you, some of you guys have done that as well, right? I'm getting all kinds of genuine flex and all that. I appreciate it. So, I grew up Roman Catholic and very Roman Catholic. Uh, so, I did not miss a mass, a Sunday mass, since I was a fetus. And never missed one from there to age 16. I, I hit every one. My father actually went to seminary after high school to become a priest. So he dropped out, which I'm thankful for. My kids are thankful for since they don't marry or have any sexual relations. Uh, so my, my kids write him a thank you note every year. Just thank you for letting me exist and not being a priest. And they don't do that. So we were extremely Catholic growing up. So we went to confession, and this was part of what you do as a Catholic. If you grew up Catholic, you know this. If you uh, didn't grow up Catholic, then if you've seen any 80s or 90s like horror movie that involves a priest, you'll see some kind of confession scene that's typically in there. Sometimes there's a, a booth that you would go to with a little one-way kind of screen, sort of foggy. You can tell someone's there, but not really who they are if you wanted to remain anonymous. Uh, sometimes... Uh, you would go face-to-face and you'd sit uh, with the priest. I would do that. I wanted to make eye contact. And you would sit down and the priest would, would sit there and he'd go, he'd say some things and he'd go, well, you're up. And so this is the time that you confess your sins to the priest. So as a middle school kid, I would get there and I cheated on this test. And I'd beat up my brothers and I'd talk back to my mom. Uh, what else did I do? I'd come up with a couple things. There was one time I lied about my sins just to try to get it over with. So then I had to confess about that the next time. Uh, so we do this confession thing, and then the priest would say some other things, and then he'd give you your penance. And so your and as a kid, usually your penance was uh, say a prayer or two. But as you grew older, you made the penance a little bit tougher. Something about middle school, and I remember once getting my penance which this is the thing you do, and at that point in time, you would be forgiven afterwards, okay? So he said, you need to go back and say 10 Hail Marys, okay? So I would go back to the pew there in the Catholic Church. They had these little kneelers, which I still think are cool and would love to figure out how to incorporate those here, but that's another deal. (laughs) Get these little kneelers, and you'd, you'd get in the kneeler, and then I had to say the Hail Mary prayer 10 times, and then it happened. So I, here we go. And so I bust them through, right? And so I'm going and I'm hitting them. And so I get to eight and I get to nine. And I'm like, okay, here's the number 10. Here we go. And I'm fired up, 
ready. And when we for grace wars with thee, blessed with you, I'm impressed free with Jesus. Holy Mary, man's got to pray for church now to their death. Amen. And that's what happened. Nothing. I was looking around and I was like, so where's the, is there a light? Like, am I going to see like a little tear on the crucifix up there? Like, what, what, what am I going to see? Nothing. So I thought I must have miscounted. And so I hit it again. Nothing. And so I, I go from the kneeler and I kind of sit back in the pew and I'm looking around at everybody else thinking, am I missing this? Are we all missing this? And I don't feel different, but I guess I'm forgiven now. Well, God used that moment to begin for me to start peeling off some of the blinders and say, hey, this is not what forgiveness looks like. Now, we could preach a whole sermon on Catholicism and the Catholic Church and how that works and uh, what that means. That's not my point here. But what I do want to turn to is to say, so what, what does confession look like biblically? What does confession look like for us at Bethel Bible Church? Because here's the thing. Here's what we know, and we talk about this every Sunday, is that our sins were forgiven on the cross. All the sins we've ever committed, all the sins we're committing right now on the spot, all sins in the future are forgiven. Yet, we're told to confess our sins. In fact, we're going to look here at 1 John that says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, wait a second. If we're forgiven on the cross, why are Christians confessing their sins now? Or are we supposed to? What's the point? So that's what we're going to get to talk about this morning, is why do Christians confess sin if we're already forgiven? So would you pray with me as we begin to talk about that? Lord, give us understanding from your word. I pray that as we talk about confession of sin, as we talk about sin, that you would open our mind, you'd open our hearts, that you would give us truth, and that we would lean into that. We pray that you would transform us and change us if we need changing, and we do. So we pray for that this morning. I pray that anything that I say that is true would be heard, and the stuff where I'm sideways and don't understand would not be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So to the question, if God forgives our sins, why do we confess? I think there's three things for us to understand to talk about this problem or this issue. The first, it is finished. It is all completed. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If you are a believer in Jesus, your sin is forgiven. It is finished. It was nailed to the cross, as Paul said. You may think about, but do you know what I've done? 
God knows exactly what you've done and what you will do. But I keep doing it. He knows. But I feel still horrible about it, and I feel bad about that. You know, we're going to address that as well. But it was forgiven on the cross. If we look at Hebrews, uh, the author has this language, this once and for all language that repeats through the book. It's fantastic. In Hebrews 7, Christ has no need like those Old Testament high priests to offer sacrifices daily. Since he did it once and for all, he offered himself. Or in Hebrews 9, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice for himself. Hebrews 10, for a single offering, he has perfected us for all time, those who are being sanctified. As Paul writes in Colossians that your sin is nailed to the cross. It it hasn't disappeared, but it was transferred. It it was transferred from you to Jesus. And the the propitiation or the, the wrath of God, the holy, perfect God that was supposed to be for you, that got transferred as well to Jesus. And it died on the cross, all of it. You know that, that sin you have or, or that sin you've done? The, the, the one that haunts you? That one. That sin is forgiven. That's the sin that when Jesus died, he loved you so tenderly. He said, that's what I'm dying for. And so that it is finished. You are forgiven. It's over. So that's the first part. We have to hold on to the completion of Christ's work and that there's nothing else for us to do. But if we go back then to the question, so why are we confessing our sin? If it is finished, if it is forgiven. Well, the second thing we need to think about is that we can't think like the Gnostics. Now, we're going to look here in 1 John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to flip in that direction. But the Gnostics at that uh, point in time was a sect or a a group of people who believed that all physical things were bad and all spiritual things were good. Well, if you believe that all physical things are bad, then you have to look at the incarnation of Christ, the fact that God became man, that he put skin on, that he came and dwelt among us and hung out with us and had lunch with us and was around us, that 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 couldn't exist because physical things are bad. And the Gnostics also believe that sin was minimized. It didn't exist or it wasn't that big of a deal. And so we have this Gnostic belief that John, who at this point in time is uh, in his 90s, he's later on his life, he's one of the last remaining apostles, and he's writing down to these, this newer generation who's coming forth and becoming the church. And so uh, we look right now to, to John, 1 John chapter 1, and that there's three things that John addresses in, in verses 6 through 10 about uh, sin and us that's, that uh, the Gnostics are denying. They're n- denying that sin exists. Uh, They're denying that sin is active in our behavior, and they're denying that sin 
interferes with our relationship with God. So, so if you turn with me, and then we're going to look here a little bit more in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, these Gnostics, they claim to know God and to have fellowship with him. And they claim to be people who had light and uh, possessed truth. So in other words, they're claiming, I, I can be a Christian, but I, I don't have to change. I don't have to look any different or, or be any different. I can be the same as I was, and that's not a big deal. That's who I am. I, my job is to sin. It's God's job to forgive me, and that's sort of how things work. Is this popular idea that I don't want to go to hell, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a, a prayer or do something, and, and God's going to sprinkle some, some Jesus pixel dust on me, and then I can continue to live my life as I want, and I'm fine. We don't call that Gnosticism anymore. We call it Bible-built Christianity that all you've got to do is say a prayer and then you're good and there's, there's no change or all you've got to do is walk an aisle and then you're good and there's no change. Now, hold on. Let's be super clear here that what we're talking about is not what you have to do to be a Christian. It's what happens if you are a Christian. So I, our family, if you're a Hall family, you play pickleball. That's what we do. We play lots of pickleball. And so if you're a hall, you play pickleball. Now, playing pickleball doesn't make you a hall. And if for, there's a season that we don't play pickleball, you're still a hall. But that's what we do. If you're a Christian, you walk in the light. It's what you do. If you're a Christian, these good works follow. Good works have nothing to do with making you a Christian. It's just what happens. It's just what comes out of it. So that's... That, that's the disclaimer, and that's what John here is talking about, that, that there's two ways to minimize the greatness of the problem we have. You can either bring God down, or you can lift man up. You can minimize the holiness of God, or you can minimize the sinfulness of man, or some combination of the two. But see, we also see, remember in verse 10, we have to remember as Christians... We still sin in a boatload, a lot. And, and some of you go, oh, you know, it was, I, I sinned a lot and then became a Christian and then I don't sin as much anymore. You're, you're probably a liar. You sin lots still, maybe more. In fact, I, I would say oftentimes some of the most heinous sins happen after you become a Christian. Some of you are like, oh, I became a Christian when I was six, and when I was four, I was doing heroin. No, you weren't. <laughs> that as Christians, we sin. And so as Christians, 
there's things that we do. There's things that we reflect. And one of those is confession, which is the third thing to understand about why do we confess? We confess because that's the thing that Christians do. We confess our sins. Now, the word confession, it simply means agreeing with God, saying what God says about us, saying what he says about our sin. So not just saying, here is my sin, here's what I did, but also saying, I'm the kind of person that does this. God, I'm the kind of person that's really quick to speak and quick to be angry. I'm the kind of person that thinks of me a whole lot. I'm the kind of person that's jealous. I'm the kind of person that gossips. I'm the kind of person that likes to be famous more than I want you to be famous. I'm the kind of person that, that that's who you are. And God goes, yes, that is who you are still. And that we have hope for something more to come in the future. But today, in this world, in this life, we agree with God in who we are. And that's confession. That's what someone who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit does. So if we confess our sins, let's talk about why we do it and and what happens when we do it. So the first thing as a Christian, when we confess our sin, we wage war against it. We bring it to the light. And when we bring things that are in the darkness that want to be in the darkness and sin wants to be there, we bring it to the light, it becomes defeated. We want to hide. We look back at Genesis chapter 3 and the first sin. And what does Adam do? He hides. And God says, where are you? He knows where he is. I'm hiding because I'm naked. I'm ashamed. Because that's what sin does. It makes us want to hide. And so to confess, we want to bring it out to the light and say, here it is. And that's how we push it back. We don't ignore it, pretend it, hide it. Maybe it will go away. No, no, no. We bring it out to the light. And the way we bring it to the light is to confess it, is to agree with God, hey, here's something that's going on. Here's part of who I am. Here's what I did. Here's my nature right now and what that looks like. We confess to bring forth restoration. That when we have sin, we are forgiven, but there's a a brokenness in relationship. In the same way that if one of my sons uh, hypothetically goes on a beach trip and makes bad decisions. He's still my son. He's not going to change being my son. I still love him. But we might have some problems and go, hey, we got to talk about this. If you snuck out and stole my car and did all these things, which they didn't do, or at least I'm not aware of yet. (laughs) We would have some relational problems. And it's the same way that, God, we, we want to we make right. We want to not have relational problems. We're forgiven, but we want to confess. That's why when we do communion, that Scripture says, hey, if you have a problem with somebody here in the church, stop for a second, leave your gift at the altar, and go, go fix that. Make eye contact with each other. Ask for forgiveness. Give forgiveness. And then come back. We want to be relationally good here. That confession brings restoration. What else it does? It brings us a spirit of humility. If you want to change the world, 
if you want to change how people think, if you want to change how people think about God, it's not how clever you can post something that's true. It's how well you can humble yourself and confess. And that's what's attractive. Uh, you know, you see our friend, and I'll call him out, McGill. He runs like 14 different groups with people who come and hang out with him. And you know why they like hanging out with him? I mean, he's an, uh, not a great guy, sorry. He, he's a jerk, oftentimes. And you know what he does? He confesses it and tells people all the time, hey, guys, here's, here's where I suck. Here's where I'm horrible. Here's where I'm no good. And people, it doesn't make people tense. It doesn't make people uncomfortable. They go, oh, yeah, I like this guy. He's my guy. Because that makes me relax and makes me be say, hey, you know what? I, I can confess too. And that's why people want to be around him. Because there's a relaxedness there. That it changes people when we confess. It opens us up to say, ah, yes. This is who we are. That, that's why life groups are so important here at Bethel and why we lean into them. Because it gives you a group of people just to sit around and go, oh, here's... Well, here's where I've messed up. Here's where things are hard. I'm going to talk about that. We're not walking around in fear of our next sin and trying not to sin and getting ready to repent just in case we do it again. No, that's not confession. Again, we know that we're forgiven, but as the Holy Spirit convicts us, we get to confess in order to be free and to be reminded that one day we'll even be without sin. So, how do we do it? Because it's hard. Because we have to humble ourselves. Here's what we don't do. And here's what's easier. Is when we are convicted of sin, we, we rationalize it. We go, ah, it's, it wasn't that big of a deal. It's not as bad as what some other people do. And that's ah, okay. Or maybe we ignore it. We don't let it get quiet around us, and we stay busy so we don't have to think about that anymore, and so we pretend like it's not there, or we turn to being critical and gossip and just talk about other people and their sin and about how bad they are. It's another way we can oftentimes handle our sin, or we blame others or shift blame that, well, the reason I'm this way is because of my, my parents or what my dad did to me or uh, the way I was brought up or because I'm in this situation where I had no other choice. Or we make vows. We say, okay, God, I will never again do this. I promise. Or you conjure up some resolve. You probably will. Do it again. Or maybe you, you try to pay for it. You go, I, I make a big donation to the church or to another nonprofit. This is funeral homes capitalize on this for the poor relationships that kids have with their parents to get you to buy the most expensive casket they have, that that's going to make up for it in some way. Sorry, Billy. That's my father-in-law. Or penance. Maybe it's the Catholic penance. It doesn't do anything. Maybe it's this piety that you have to be extra holy and spiritual once you sin, or maybe you take the other side and you have to punish yourself because of all the bad things you've done. None of that is confession. 
what confession looks like is saying the things that you've done to God and to shed it, put it in the light and put light on it. So to be specific, it's, our, our family differentiates between I'm sorry and please forgive me. So I'm sorry is, oops, I, I messed up. I meant to be on time and I wasn't on time and this happened. Please forgive me as here's the sin that I've done that I've wrong, wronged you. Heather, please forgive me because I wanted to be right way more than I wanted to love you. Man, Sam, uh, please forgive me. I lost my temper and I yelled at you because I care more about me than I care about you. And that my pride got up and, and took over in that situation. That we, we name the sin. We shed it to light and say, here's, here's who I am still in this world until God comes back and we get to be with him. That I have this sin and I, I confess it to you. And it, and it hurts, it splashes. It hurts lots of people around me. It's what I've done and I'm sorry. You know what, that didn't, I was already forgiven. It was finished long ago. But I confess to have this right relationship about who to confess to is that your confession should be as, as wide as the people it affects. If I hurt my wife, Heather, I want to confess to Heather. If I have a, a sin that's private, I want to confess to God. If I have a sin that's public, I want to confess publicly. But we also want to remember that sin splashes. It affects those around us, that there's a, a ripple effect to our sin. Here's what's really cool about confession is the point. The point, if we look right up in verse four of 1 John, that John writes this so that his joy may be complete. Do you know that's the goal? Our goal is joy, that one of God's hope for us is to be happy in a sense, is to smile, to have a light load. That's a goal of of God's for us is that his joy may be complete. Uh, maybe you didn't know that. Maybe um, you might think that, that when it comes to confession that, that God is sitting here angrily waiting for you to say the things that you've done wrong because he's got the list and he's waiting to see if you got it. Maybe that's your view of confession, but if we want to look to see how God views confession, we can look to Jesus and see what he did. Look at the woman at the well, who at first was a bit in denial and then realized who Jesus was and goes back to the town and says, he knew everything I did. And she was free and started talking about Jesus so much that other people were saying, who is this guy? Let's go find him. And they were looking around for him. Or we look at the prodigal son that Jesus talks about as Matt talked about who wants to give us a bear hug because he loves us when we confess our sins we look when Jesus talks about the parable of the, of the Pharisee. The Pharisee who prayed and talked about all the good things he did versus the tax collector who said, I am a horrible, wretched man. And God, Jesus says, that guy, he's my guy. 
That's the guy I want to hang out with. That's the guy who's following me. The person who humbles himself. Jesus has given him a fist bump. Or Peter, right after denying Jesus three times, he's thinking, he wants nothing to do with me now. So he goes out, remember he's fishing, and then on the shore, Jesus calls out, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat, which was a callback from when he first called Peter to follow him. And Peter went, that's my Jesus. And he doesn't take the time to turn the boat around, but he dives off the boat and swims to be with him. And then remember what they did? They, they had lunch. They had fish together. Or we look at even the cross. That as Jesus is dying, he says, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. As we confess to God, his posture is one of come here. This is good. And that's where we get freedom. That's where we get joy. That's where our burden is light. His yoke is easy. That's where we just get to smile and be. And we say goodbye to our anxiety. (sighs) It's opposite of what we think. To humble ourselves is hard. To confess means I've got to put myself in a lowly position. That doesn't feel like it's going to win. But it is. That's where the victory is. That's what God says when he says, when you're weak, I'm strong. It's opposite thinking than what's natural, but it's true. And if you're a believer, I'm guessing you're like me where you've tasted that before, but you keep forgetting that you keep thinking, ah, but to humble myself feels bad until you do it. And you go, yeah, actually, that feels good. So we have to be reminded. So what now? I want everyone to turn around to the person behind them and confess their deepest sin. No, we're not going to do that now. Maybe we should. Yeah. We're, we want to confess. This week, I urge all of us to confess. Confess our sin to each other, to God. Those that you have hurt with your sin, look at them, make eye contact with them and say, would you forgive me? Where you've sinned against God, where you've gone against what he wants, <sighs> I confess, it's not going to make you a Christian. That's believing in God. Doing these things is just a reflection of what a Christian does. Confess freely. Don't be a Gnostic. Don't minimize the holiness of God. Don't minimize the horribleness of your sin. Instead, know we're forgiven and confess. Be free and have joy. Let me pray. Lord, we confess that we are still sinners and you love us still. And we know as we believe in you that you have forgiven us for our sins and it is all finished on the cross. And so we say thank you. We acknowledge we don't deserve that, but you gave it to us because you love us. 
I pray this week that we would all have the courage, that you would give us that courage in order to confess, to humble ourselves, to be weak, and so that you may be strong. In Christ's name we pray, amen.